Awesome date. March 7th, 2011. Awesome topic. The glorious views of Cage of Vision. This is the Awesome Cast. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Awesome Cast. I'm Basil. I'm Eric. And from the wonderful, beautiful state of Florida is Anime World Order's very own. There it is, Daryl Surratt. Have you ever been to Florida, Basil? Once. Okay. I was just I was making sure that you you knew if it was beautiful and wonderful. So it might not be. Yeah, I, I think maybe lately the you know the Everglades are probably not going to be restored anymore, and maybe they'll start drilling offshore for all I know. So it may not be beautiful for that much. Yeah, longer. exactly. Like, uh, well, I don't know though. I live in Alabama, so my idea of beautiful is pretty skewed. I mean, that's one pretty cotton field out there. Yep, yep. Especially since Tennessee is just ever so slightly prettier than Alabama. Oh my God, Tennessee's way prettier than Alabama. I don't even know what you're talking. You just you just made a fool of yourself on national television or whatever we're doing, like on the internet. I, I was trying to be nice to our other Alabama listeners. Well, you you failed. You failed because they know you're wrong. We can't even keep a couple of trees at Auburn alive. My God, like oh, those are football trees. Who football really cares trees. about football? Yeah, okay, you're right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you're right. Exactly. So yeah, this is the podcast for everything awesome, including killing football trees. That's not awesome. Back away from that one, Basil. Back away. Don't make me get all Ice Shield 21 on you. Awesome cast. We're awesome things, like killing sacred cows in India. Oh yeah. That's a reach. So you can find us at awesomecast.com. Uh, we have voicemails still, because I use Google voicemail thing. Um... Oh, hey, that's right. I do have the Google voicemail thing. I could use that. Yeah, that's that's actually what I did was I just set up a Google – because we used to use the same sort of service you, you all used for voicemails. And I'm like, you know, one day I'm going to forget to call this number, and I'm going to lose it. Which is what happened to us. So I'm just going to use a Google service that will never die because Google doesn't care. Because Google doesn't get rid of anything. I think I still have a Wave account. Because somebody else got Wave. That was... But yeah, you could totally do that. And I've even gotten, like, two voicemails. Really? One was spam. One was spam. Oh, that's right. We, we talked about that last time, didn't we? And then when we had one, it was one guy... The other guy who called called the wrong number and thought we were, like, a doctor in a hospital. Oh, that's pretty... Uh, wow. Okay. Did you call him back? This is Dr. Basil. No, I didn't have his number. He just, just left a message. He didn't leave, oh, he didn't, he didn't leave a callback number. You couldn't, like, screw with him? No. We have found hair cancer in your hair. But I know that it works, so, yeah, you totally could do that. Um, also, Daryl has a wonderful website, Anime World Order, or uh, AWO Podcast now. 
just uh, we always say AnimeWorldOrder.com. It redirects to AWOPodcast.com for now. But if our hosting ever changes, if you know our domain for that ever changes, AnimeWorldOrder.com should always redirect to wherever we end up being. Since you know we used to be on Blogspot, now we're on WordPress. Who knows if something else will change? So I always give out AnimeWorldOrder.com. And Dan, got anything uh, upcoming convention-wise? Uh, we do, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, we just finished uh, Genericon in uh, you know a couple weeks ago. We might be going to another one in that area, but I'm not sure. We are definitely going to Anime Boston. And then there's the Florida Anime Experience in uh, here in Florida on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Anime Boston is, I believe, April 22nd through the 24th. Yeah, it's it's Easter weekend because it's okay. Yeah. It's the same weekend as MTAC, which is actually where we'll be. Ah, oh, that's too bad. But yeah, Easter weekend Anime Boston, Memorial Day weekend Florida Anime Experience. And this upcoming weekend, and I say this upcoming weekend by the weekend of when this recording gets released, um, is MomoCon in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'll be there running two panels. Um, I'm probably it's probably the final and very last time I'll be doing our works of Mikio Takahashi panel because I've ran this panel now seven times, seven times. in the past like twelve months. Yeah, it's burnout time. And I'm kind of getting tired of it. It's like, she's a lady, she drew some shit, all the faces look the same, get over it. No, I'm kidding. I'm a huge Takashi fan, I shouldn't say shit like that. There are some panels, though, that do need to be done at every convention. I mean, I do one, and it's not that exciting, but I feel that it's it's worth doing. I do one called Anime 101. It's not especially exciting, but the main reason I do it is because every single convention is somebody's first anime convention. And I don't want them to go in and, because of anime conventions, turn into a jerk. (laughs) I like that theory. So, at the very least, I can put forth my personal treatise on what we should agree anime is and what we should agree manga is and give people an overview of the history of anime from the 1900s to present day, just so they're at least aware that anime existed before they were alive. Yeah. And even before Astro Boy. <laughs> yeah, the um the panel the other panel doing from Ocon is actually a new panel for me. And I think it might be the one that I do just trapped to whatever convention I go to, which is uh getting your anime groove back. Because I know there's a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know, <coughs> they really liked anime, but then they got out of anime and some of them <clears throat> want to get back into it, but they have no clue what to watch. And these people will still go to anime conventions just to go to conventions. But they have no clue what anime to get back into. That's a good topic. Like, what sort of things do you pick? Um, right now, it's still Girly very much a work stuff. Oh, sorry. Um, right now, it's very much a work in progress. Um, usually, the first thing I start off with is I remind people that Cowboy Bebop still exists. I know it's like 13 years old, but for a lot of people, they see that go, "Oh yeah, now I remember why I like anime." It hits that the that nostalgia button. Yeah, I think a lot of people came into anime between Cowboy Bebop and Fooly Curly, and then they were like, wow, this is awesome, this is cool, what else do you got, Japan? And Japan was like, well, not a whole <laughs> lot, really. We got something that's kind of, sort of, maybe like that. You might like it. 
called Outlaw Star. It's called Outlaw Star, yeah. Damn it, but, you beat me to it. Um, another one that actually tends to get a lot of people introduced. Actually, um, I know for some mech fans it's hot, it's an issue, but Gurren Lagann. Like, I, there is, I admit, many fans, especially fans who aren't mecha fans, yes. who will still love the shit out of the show. Gurren Lagann. Even if it's done other uh, better at other shows, or d- done in other shows as well. I can hear Kevin's teeth grind against themselves they, uh, they, right they, now. They, they sell that. Somehow that one Gynax show just resonates with people. Yeah, it has, um, I guess Gynax, they just have infinite fan will that people will give them a chance. And the most fascinating thing about Tengen Topa Garen Lagan is how many people, they see it and they love it. And they, it's like nothing they've ever watched before, except the thing about how most Gynax things are is that they're not really like nothing you've ever seen before. They're basically, um, you know, celebrations of convention. And so if you like that show, there are plenty of other shows that are pretty much just like it. And in my opinion, better. But that's not to say that Garen Lagan is a bad show by any means. You know? Oh, like, I totally agree, but of course, Eric's one of those people who... I'm sitting here like, with my, I was like, I don't know about that. Like, But, um, another, that's, that's, you know, I'll be showing clips of stuff, of this sort of stuff, but I'm also going to sort of, uh, use also part of it as a roundtable to ask the people who are there what they think would be good shows or why they, they dropped out never of Never do that. Really? Never <laughs> ever do that because anime fans are the worst people when it comes to recommending new shows to people because all they will do is tell you a show that they like personally with no consideration to whom they are showing it to and therefore i would say do not make that a democratic discussion just be like these are the shows go forth and see it so sells basil so you shall do. But at the same time, can anyone really do anything other than that when they recommend? I mean, I don't like when I recommend yes, science people fiction. People can do that. Like people can say, if you like this, then watch that. If you like this other thing, then check this out instead. You can do that instead of saying, "Well, I like this, therefore everybody must also like this," which is okay. what most anime fans okay, do. Okay, okay, I didn't, I didn't quite understand what you. I was like, I don't know if I can recommend something I don't at least kind of like. Well, what I was thinking it was more of like asking what animes they liked then and what got them out of it, so that I can then go, okay, well, if you did like these things, then you might like these shows. I don't think anyone is going to be that good at saying what got them out of it. I think it's kind of a gradual burn. Like, it's my personal hypothesis that Chrono Crusade is the show that is responsible for killing every generation of anime fan (laughs) since the year it came out. (laughs) Not because it's awful, but because it's crushingly mediocre. And a lot of people watch it, and it keeps getting re-released and re-released every few years. And what's the cycle of anime fans? They get in when they're teenagers usually, are really, really into it. Then by the time they hit a certain age, they just kind of stop bothering. And I think every once in a while, you know, it's they watch anime, watch anime, they watch Chrono Crusade. And then from then on, it's just like gradually, ah, uh, anime. And you know what? Forget it. <laughs> I, I can see that because that almost got me when Chrono Crusade first came out. I was like, oh, hey, I'll watch this. Oh, God. I think it was Crow Crusade that was the first show that really realized, wait a minute, who made this? Gonzo? What else did they make? 
I'm starting to see a pattern here. Hmm. I don't know. I think it was the... I don't know. Like I said, I've been told I'm wrong about this, but it seemed to me in the circles that I watched the anime in, there's a period of time, I don't know, the mid-2000s, where everything became these giant epic go-on-forever, oh my god, when are we going to get anywhere near the end of the plot shows, like Bleach and One Piece and that kind of thing. That was all anybody was watching, and I was, I, that's what got me out of it uh, initially. was like, oh my god, this is everything, I'm done. I think that was a more local issue with us. Yeah, that's what I've been told. Yeah, that's what I've been told, is it's just a local issue, and it's got nothing. I was like, well, I don't give a shit. That's what happened. Because <laughs> in our Huntsville group, like, literally, One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach. Yeah, One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach. People are watching all three shows all at the same time. Oh, it was horror, horror. Like, And I couldn't get any of the stuff I really liked, like Mushishi and stuff like that, and I couldn't. No, because no one would be willing to watch it. So yeah, there, there's the shows that I like often tend to not be the best shows for a crowd or for a group, and the shows that seem to go over well in that setting tend to be the shows where you can just kind of drop in and they go on forever, and maybe there's some jokes and maybe there's some fighting, uh, and you can talk during it and not really miss out. Whereas that's not really the type of thing I tend to watch most of the time, as far as anime goes. Yeah, exa- exactly. That kind of, uh, you know, I, you don't even have to watch the dialogue. I've got one friend that watches One Piece religiously, and he skips the dialogue. He just skips along from fight scene to fight scene. You'll watch him watch. He watches a thirty-minute episode in like seven minutes. That might actually be the way to watch One Piece: is to read the manga, <laughs> so you know what's going on, and then just skip past the parts where they talk and watch the fights in motion. And then you get the best of both and, worlds because you don't have to spend nearly as much time reading a manga. And with the anime, you still get to see the fights. Because when you read that manga and you see people fight, it is a bunch of pencil lines and you can't tell what's going on. <laughs> well, he's very funny because he'll be like, wait, why are these two guys fighting each other? And he'll skip back and listen to two minutes of dialogue and go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, it's really funny to watch him do it. But, yeah, ugh, I hate that kind of stuff. But one of the issues I'm having, and maybe you can recommend a series or two that I can use, but I'm trying to figure out like some of the shows that are in the last few seasons to recommend to people, period. Because the easiest answer, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. All right, well, I would say the easiest answer to recommend to people is generally whatever's running in the Neutamina block. Just start with that and have that be your short list. And most of those things are good choices because they don't run forever. They're all pretty short. They're each like, you know, 12 episodes or so. They're almost all aimed at an older audience. They're almost all not aimed at a hardcore anime fans, and therefore the things that burn people out, usually the over-reliance on tropes, don't tend to be as heavy-duty in their shows, the Noitamina shows. So I think if you were to look at that stuff, it'd probably give you at least like a decent starting point as far as like, oh, well, this is something that is still anime, but is different from the stuff that you were watching that you weren't really that interested in, and it's for a little more older audience, which most of the people who watch anime burn out and are trying to get back into it, that requires time, and so therefore they're a little older than the norm. Yeah, I have to 100% agree with that. Like, the, I mean, some of the things that attracted me to anime was the stories fucking ended, they, were, you know, they weren't there forever, they were uh, stories that you know uh, had a bit more adult audience a lot of times, that's what first got me into it, and then I... Was was James call it anime shtick? Like we got a series after series of anime shtick, and I just didn't want to. Well, that's actually why I've been having issues going to my, going to anime club is because that's what they've been watching lately. Yeah, yeah. It's just never ending, and I'll go and I'll vote for the shows I want to watch, and they'll I'll vote for all these. You know, we had a choice between um, the big two ones were was Level E and Freezing. 
Level E is a funny show. Level E is a goddamn funny show. Like, uh, it's actually the one... Bad and Wolverine's the two shows I'm watching this season. Wolverine? The, oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the anime of Wolverine. Yeah. It's better than Iron Man. Is it? I thought Iron Man yeah, was I mean, okay. Like... Iron Man was okay. That's the problem. It was okay. It needed to be spectacular, yeah. given that it's an Iron Man anime. That's a show that people who don't watch anime, or they were used to watch and they fell out... They would look at that. They would give it a shot. But it just turned out to be okay. There were some good episodes and some terrible episodes, and most of it was just like, eh, whatever. And which, in other words, it was just average. They need to be better than that. Well, so, for these I thought things. this Wolverine thing, they were making him a Bishi or something. I saw a preview not, for not it. Not really. Like... They changed that character design because that trailer that you saw where he had the mullet yeah. and the weird claws, everybody hated the shit out of it. <laughs> oh, thank God. And so... <laughs> They changed the art. He looks more like Hugh Jackman does in the movies than he did in that weird trailer with the long yeah with the long hair, hair and the, the yeah I, like, I saw that and I was like okay guys I'm done like I'm not watching this like most of it now the Wolverine anime isn't bad but again it, it really needs to be better than just good enough good enough isn't good enough like it is slightly better than, than I'm at simply because half the episodes have been just Wolverine fighting Omega Red and so that's not too bad. But yeah, it's, it's not. Mega Red. Oh no, I'm gonna have to go look this up now. You guys got me interested. Um. But yeah, Cause because because I'm a huge American comic book. Fan. I guess I, I, I stopped thinking because. Uh, I know my American comic books as well, and if you remember your 1980s uh, Wolverine in Japan yeah. run, which I think that was John Byrne, that is basically the ground that the anime series is. Oh coming. really? That's really interesting. That's pretty good. But yeah, because. My proto version of this panel, I ran at our uh, local mini, our minicon in November. Yeah. And it actually did feature a lot of, um, uh, Noitama stuff. Uh, but just this season, the two shows we got is Fractal and, and Wandering Sun. And- right. And Fractal is not my thing. I wouldn't recommend it. Wandering Sun is an interesting example to show to people maybe more like, uh, not necessarily anime fans because it's one of those things where you can use it and say people give the lip service that anime is capable of telling emotional adult type stories that aren't just action, aren't just kid stuff, aren't just fan service. Wandering Sun's good for your proving your point as far as that goes. It doesn't personally speak to me because it's all about growing up and coming of age and I never did either. But you know, Wandering Sun, um, you know, for real human beings is probably decent, especially if they watch Glee, because, you know, Wandering Sun's about, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I was like, whoa, where are we going? Wandering hey. Sun is transgenders in middle school. Uh, so it, it is right. pretty much Glee. Okay. Um, or at least how's people this, who watch Glee. How's this freezing anime? I know it's kind of off topic, but I heard you guys mention it, and Christopher's it's like... Not, it's not worth it. I mean, Level E versus Freezing, Level E, no question. Okay, like one, one of my friends is all, oh, I've been watching this thing, it's called Freezing, and blah, blah, blah. Fr- so. Freezing is, you might as well watch Ikitosin. Okay. It's just big boob women fighting. I'm totally intrigued by this anime. Um, Level E is much more MIB meets Cromartier. I'm kind of intrigued by that anime, too, but for like, different like, reasons. Different level E is one of those things, things like, I'll watch this, you know, and it, it's a tricky one because, like, the opening is, you know, and a lot of the preview images is this long-haired, beautiful, like, blonde-haired guy naked. And I'm like, uh-oh, what am I watching? And it's totally not that. It's totally, like, a switch. It's a really, just a really, really intelligently funny show where they're not just sitting on, like, okay, well, here's a reference to this. Here's a reference to that. Isn't that funny? 
Mike, I reference. You want to know the secret? What's that? The secret to why Level E is like that it's is because it's based off a of manga from like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. It's from like the 90s. It's like 97. Like, uh, I looked into them, like, what is this Level E thing? I'm like, oh, it's based on something. Um, it's based, yeah, it's like, I think it was 97 to like 99. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, it's newer than I thought. Yeah, I could have sworn it was 97. I could, it might be 93, but I could have sworn it was 97. No, you're probably closer to accurate. I just made up a number. But so did Basil, so don't worry about it. Like, no, I'm pretty, I'm, I'll fat my checks out my light. I'll fat check myself later. You'll check your fat like? Yes. Or if not, we'll just pretend we're Fox News. We're Anyways. Fox News. Anyway. Um, so I guess we'll show. That's, that's a lot of talking. That's so a lot of talking. Let's go on to a moment of awesome. I'm not singing the song. You freaking, you freaking look at me like I'm so scared. Okay. A moment of awesome or some crap. And I'm not Kevin. I'm not singing. Like, well, I'm not putting on a dress for your amusement. Fine, 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 fine. All right, here we go. I'll shatter it. You'll shatter it. It's a moment of Awesome. Da-da! Need the need the Star Trek sting there. So what you been doing, Eric? Uh, playing Marvel vs. Capcom three mostly. That's not really a new. Uh, new it's thing. new for our listeners. It's new for our listeners, is it? Uh, rocking out Team Arthur, She Hulk, Dormammu, and uh, getting my ass handed to me. But that's okay. I don't play fighting games to win. I play fighting games to watch pretty colors dance on the screen. Uh, I can't play any of those versus games. Anything where your game mechanic relies heavily on juggles and air combos and that stuff is just beyond my ability to grasp, which means I can't play Smash Brothers, a game that's made for six years. <laughs> well, it's, it's like I said, I don't play it to win, so I mostly end up going, She-Hulk goes raw and hits you with her lawyer powers and making jokes during it, like... Uh... Um, that's pretty much been it, uh, working a ton. That's, uh... I think that's the best way to enjoy fighting games. The problem is, is that the only people playing fighting games anymore are the hardcore crazy people who have been playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2 for the last 11 years. And so on day one, you go and you try and find a match online and you get your ass handed Oh yeah, I saw... it's like, this is not fun at all. I saw some guy rocking out, like, 70 hit combos on day one. Like, and it's like, really, guys? Really? I'm learning where the, the attack button is, and you guys are rocking out 70-hit air juggles? Like, we we are really fortunate in our town, because we actually have a fighting game group that meets up, where all we do is we just put, throw up a bunch of stuff on the TVs, and we just have fun playing it. Unless Adam has his yeah, way. The problem with that, yeah. though, is that it's there's a, a very noticeable skill gap, and nowhere is it more apparent than in the fighting game scene, it's as true. it were. Between newbies and people who are good. And the people who are good are not interested in really teaching other people. They're really interested in sharpening their skills for the next tournament. Exactly. I could not agree more. And it's funny because even the ones that will tell you I'm going to teach you something, they don't teach you shit. Like, like, no, yeah. they just beat the crap out of you and maybe try and verbally explain. It's like, oh, you just got a false Roman calcium. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, you just got to hit a quarter circle half punch <laughs> off a half pipe with a 1086 flex and... Like, oh, I had frame advantage there. It's like, what are you yeah, talking about? Okay. You, you just got to cancel it. You got to hit confirm. What does hit confirm mean? It's when you hit confirm. <laughs> yes, but there's also, but since there's multiple setups, you can still find a noob setup that you can sometimes, sometimes unless, take unless, over. Unless, well, sometimes, Adam has, unless Adam has this one. Well, yeah. Then Adam comes in and yells at everyone for not sharpening their skill for not doing exactly what Daryl was just talking about. He literally came in and had a freak out because we had a for fun 
set up and it was like me and a bunch of the sucky players were playing each other and he's like why do they get to play we should all be like honing our matchup skills maybe it'll get easier once final final round he only shows up like once every two months so it's okay so it's true so we don't we don't worry too much about it so that's pretty much all i've been doing is playing more of capcom 3 and uh burst or wrangling oh watching house oh my god house is good again what the hell who did that when did that happen? The latest season. Like season seven is good. Season six was terrible. Season it's because they got rid of stupid Cameron. Stupid Cameron and rehired Dino. good. Re, uh, re, rehired a decent Cameron, and, and Tab got more screen time. I mean, well, not only that, but like the drama's gone away. Like fuck this drama thing. Like I, I, I don't care about it. Like, so is is Chase gonna go to jail because he killed an African dictator? Who fucking cares? Give me crazy medical shit. It has been more crazy medical shit. Exactly. So what's been going down in Daryl Town? Oh, well, uh, I've been playing uh, Dawn of War 2 Retribution, which just came out. It's the uh, expansion pack for Dawn of War 2, the second one, although it's a little bit different in terms of mechanics than the previous ones. I don't know if anyone else has ever played those games. Do you know what they I mean, are? Dawn of War is an RTS, right? Like, uh... Dawn of War, the original one, is more a classical real-time strategy game based on the Warhammer 40K franchise. Uh, which I was never a fan of the tabletop because it's just the neckbeardiest game ever. But it is like an interesting setting, and you know I do like the premise of it. Yeah. And so the video games are far more entertaining, I believe, than the tabletop. And uh, Dawn of War 2 is the multiplayer. There's some different versions of it. One multiplayer is a little closer to that traditional real-time strategy thing you're thinking of, like Company of Heroes or whatever, only you don't really build buildings. But that's not the one I play because, you know, that kind of annoys me. I like the single player, which is a little bit closer to Gauntlet, if uh, you remember oh, that yeah. arcade game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's more my thing. Plus, it's it supports cooperative play. And so I like that idea of, you know, it, you go around, you beat the crap out of tons of dudes, you get um, gear and experience, and you level up, and, you know, each time you put on something that looks different, it's like, ooh, pretty dress-up game, but, you know. Um, it's a lot of fun. Retribution is, um, they've changed it up a little bit, but now, um, whereas in the single player for the previous ones, you can only play as, as one group and one group only, uh, with retribution, they open it up so you can play as multiple other groups in the single player story mode. So I'm having some fun with that. Uh, no one else I know is playing it though. Unfortunately, I, um, I actually have the first one, the, the very John war two, and I played it, and unfortunately, my Achilles heel is RTSs. My brain cannot move. I cannot multitask worth a damn. And that's neither can I. And which is why the way you played on a War Two, you only have like maybe a couple of characters to control. Period. It's really you know you don't have to deal with a million things at once. And like, oh, well, while this is going on, go and do this other thing. You know. So it was a little more manageable for me, but I feel like it. I, I started playing it. And I was doing okay, and then it got to a point where suddenly I got a heavy firefight, and I started mashing on the space bar like pause. Why aren't you pausing? Why isn't this dragon? Oh crap! This is this is real time, and I freaked out and turned it off. Yeah, I, I can definitely see you on that because I can't play like those Starcrafts and all that stuff. I mean, I'm I, I wish I could because a lot of times they're they're interesting. I like the idea of. You know, moving my guys around and shooting other dudes. And, <laughs> but 
It just, uh, yeah, especially online. You want to talk about, like, an even bigger gap between oh, people my, who don't know what they're yeah. doing. It's like if you thought fighting games were bad, real-time strategy, it's like you've got the entire nation of Korea to deal with. And they're not even human. <laughs> they're not. There's some kind of real-time strategy playing robots, and they're, oh, my God, tell me. I'm a huge See, I'm single-player 100%, but, or cooperative. Because, you know, well, yeah. that's basically makes anything. Yeah, fun. exactly. Gauntlet, like, I mean, if you're comparing it to Gauntlet, and, and that was the reason to play Gauntlet back in the day, was getting two people. What, what? Yeah, you wouldn't play single player Gauntlet. It would kind of be a slog. What was it uh, Gauntlet Legends was on the N64? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I used yeah. to play that shit constantly. And, and if it's anything like that, that's what you needed. Was... Like, I'm, I'm really surprised we don't have, like, an honest to God, like, new, like, XBLA or PSN Gauntlet. Because that would be one of those games that would work really well as a download. Game. They have similar stuff, like they got Castle, Castle Crashers, Crashers and yeah. that sort of thing. Scott Pilgrim game, which is more like River City Ransom than anything yeah. else, but you know, similar mechanic. But yeah, I've been playing a lot of Retribution, and I uh, I have been enjoying it certainly. So um, that's pretty awesome. There is also the Shogun Two Total War, um, which I've been waiting on for basically a decade to come out. Shogun Total War was basically Risk, or basically it was a computer version of Samurai Swords, if you ever played that board game. It was basically you got to conquer Japan using your armies of samurai and ninja and all that stuff. And we're, you know, Japanese culture-loving jerks, or <laughs> I think we, we know a thing or two. Heck yeah. And, you know, who doesn't want to, you know, hire your ninja and assassinate the, you know, general of the army? So, yeah, Shogun 2 is pretty cool. My computer can barely run it, though. Yeah, I've heard it's the first game that's really been pushing by like, people. Like, I guess maybe I do need to upgrade now. Like my coworker was complaining yeah, about that. I am thinking that, and it's like, oh, I just got my tax refund in. Hmm, maybe it's <laughs> that time. Uh, my coworker did the same thing. My tax return is going to my 3ds, but like the the. the t- what do you think of the 3ds? Like, I'm impressed by the technology. I'm just waiting for one. More games and two for that price to not be two hundred fifty bucks. I wouldn't mind the two hundred fifty bucks if there was anything playable on it at launch. But there's Pilot Wings. Oh fuck Pilot now, Wings! Now first, I will point out that I am a raging Nintendo fanboy. So yes, I am getting one at launch. Um, and you can wag your pen at me all you want, Eric. But the fact is, I know that there's going to be games I want for it that's going to come out before there is a price drop. Yeah. So I might as well get on it now while I actually have the money for Give it. Give me something, you know? Give me Ocarina yeah. of Time, Mario, something, anything, but Nintendo? I waited for about a year before I bought the DS, and I love the DS as a system, but it wasn't until Trauma Center came out that I was like, gotta get one of these. But, you know, when the DS came out, there was basically Jack. There was, like, Feel the Magic and uh, Port of Mario 64, and that was about now, it. Now, Mars 4 is way more playable now here on the 3DS because you can actually use the um, the slide pad yeah, or slide, slide pad. circle. I... It actually emulates the analog control pretty well just natively because of how it was designed in the first place for the gameplay. Now, I bought uh, a DS at launch, I will admit, because of Mario 64 DS, but... Frankly, that was because I had never owned Mario 64 for the N64, and it was more a, and I loved the game. I played it at a friend's house, and so that was kind of my excuse was like, well, you know, here is the game for it. But there's nothing on this launch. I mean, bleh. Like, well, I never actually. What about the Super Street Fighter 4 thing? <laughs> oh, yeah, hooray. I'm buying it because I want to have an over the shoulder view when I lose against people playing fighting games. Uh, 
You know, you you, you know, you never play it. What's it, it going to cost? Sixty bucks? No, forty. Forty. Yes. Ugh. But anyways, the uh, the game I was actually going to talk about um, was Magicka for the PC. Oh yeah, Magicka is a lot of fun. Of I've watched friends play it, and I'm like, oh man, that might ruin my life because. <laughs> You know, you can see, like, that Diablo-ish kind of uh, influence on it, even though it's a little closer, like you said, to Gauntlet. It, it is. It's almost like Gauntlet or Diablo meets, like, Zelda Four Swords. And, and the trick is, is that there's an actual story and level progression. So eventually you will beat it. It's not quite the um, gigantic loot drop game that Diablo was. Yeah, that was my main, like, objection to playing those games is because... I have so many games to play, I really can't afford anymore to play games where you're just meant to play it forever. So, I mean, I know people love Left 4 Dead, but it's like I played it for about a week or so, and I was like, okay, got it. That's about it for me. And same thing with Team Fortress, because otherwise you're just going to be playing it for years. Like, now, Magic is not that way. Like, I think once you play it and beat it, you can be pretty much done with it. Uh, the neat thing about it is is that you have eight different elements, uh, and you combine them to form magic spells, and while there is, you can improve your, like, sword and your magic staff, the – everything that you actually want to do is pretty well confined to your actual magical spells. Like, you don't get better health. You don't get better, you know, mana because there is no mana. You just cast magic. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the gear quite so bad that you would in, you know, these other games. But, man, single player is interesting because – they do change your damage ratios between single and multiplayer, so you can still play it single player, but multiplayer is just insane. I play through a coworker, and is it a co-op multiplayer? Yes. Or do you fight against each other? Um, okay, cool. I think you actually can do both. Um, and the other trick is yeah, that's actually I forgot to mention. Dawn of War Two has that as well. I mean, not only do you have the traditional RTS or a cooperative single player, there's also a cooperative multiplayer mode called The Last Stand, where it's just you and two other people. You just fight infinite waves and, you know, level up, and, and it's more fun than I'm making it sound. But it's, uh, yeah. So Magicka, you can also cooperatively play through it. Yeah, and uh, what people have actually been also been doing is they're actually um, working on including PvP because people are still using the cooperative mode to PvP anyway because friendly, friendly fire is always on. Now... Ah, uh, so it's one of those, like, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory things where they try to make a unique multiplayer mode, but everyone's like, we just want Deathmatch. Yes, and so they're like, okay, that's cool. Uh, you do that, we'll actually give you an actual thing. So if you want it, you can, but it is really interesting, you know, because Friendly Fire, because we'll, me and my coworker who, who I'm playing this with, we'll do one thing, and we'll go, okay, that was, oh, crap. That was not a good idea. And then one of us will die. Thankfully, to do the resurrection spell, it's really easy, and you don't have to be by them to do it. You just have to quickly type in the commands and hit the hit the cast magic spell button, and they're back on the back on the board. So while there is friendly fire, it's not like a aggravating thing. It's just like, oh, well, that happened. But it's a lot of fun, and the only thing I've been playing has been a uh, Dragon Quest VI because I'm also a raging Dragon Quest fanboy. It's fun. You leave me alone, Eric. Whatever. I know you don't like the Japanese <clears throat> RPGs. I do. I do like JRPGs. I just don't like You Dragon like Quest. one of them. You like Chrono Trigger, and that's it. And that's okay. Chrono Trigger's awesome. But you... The problem with the JRPG is 
that it hasn't really evolved with the rest of much of gaming. I think, you know, the evolutions and changes that they do make are not changes that anyone really asked for or wanted. <laughs> like uh, Final Fantasy is the best example. Every game is different, but they don't ever seem to say what worked in this one and what didn't work, and let's change it based on that. No, they just kind of change crap. <laughs> Such that the ideal Final Fantasy would be, well, if it had the system from this game and the characters from this one and the story, like, emphasis on this and the freedom to move around from that one, then you'd have a good game. But, you know, I don't know. Final Fantasy is just like a coin toss. But Dragon Quest, you got to give them some credit. At least it's consistent. I mean, nine's a little different. But you know what you're getting when you get into the Dragon Quest, and that's... Super duper grind, and you better have the strategy guide. Like, well, you, I really don't think you actually need the strategy guide. Um, at least, especially in six, because there's actually you can, whenever whenever you're lost, you just go to a different character. There's a character you can go to. Go, hey, I'm lost, and the character goes, oh, okay, you need to go over here. So there aren't points where you're just like going around, and suddenly you fight like a boss or whatever that's just way too hard because the expectation is you were supposed to spend 10 hours grinding levels first? No, I actually, um, I haven't had that experience at all. In fact, I've had the opposite this time where you play through, it's bigger than a prologue, but it's sort of the first part of the game. You're off to kill this one guy. And then once you kill him, the rest of the world sort of opens up for your main adventure. And that's when they start doing the job system. Well, the trick is, is that instead of um, all the levels are consistent, your character's going to go from level one to whatever, and that's never going to change. What the job system does is it changes your base parameters for your stats, stats initially, and then you get various skills as you level up. The trick is you have to fight. It's the number of battles you fight in order to level up the job skills. The trick is is you have to have you have to fight enemies that are certain. They're tougher than you. And so in the early game, I did the usual Dragon Quest thing where I just level up until I can afford all the weapons and armor. Then I'll go on to the next dungeon. And usually you're high enough level to, to pound through whatever you need to with, you know, at least a little bit of difficulty. But now my characters are overleveled and they're not getting any jump skills. So it actually encourages you to not just grind your way through the game initially. That is good. I mean, the main thing I think that just sort of burned me out on that sort of RPG is random encounters. Like, I think at this game, like at this stage of the game, if I see a game that's got, like, a lot of random encounters, I'm really hesitant to even bother playing it. I would definitely, if that's the case, um, give Dragon Quest Nine a try. Cause it's nine. Nine, because it's the first Dragon Quest that got rid of random encounters. They're all on the, they're all on the screen. Yeah, I was reading other people posting about Dragon Quest IX. Apparently, it's still like a super uh, combat-intensive, like leveling up kind of game because hey, that's a Dragon Quest experience. But yeah, I, I think also I keep hearing there's a lot of multiplayer reliance on that, and I don't know anybody. You can play the whole game single player, and it'd be fine. Um... So it's not like say the Metal Gear. Peace Walker or whatever, where it's just some of those bosses, forget about it. No, no, no. You can totally... Well, I did do a decent bit of multiplayer with my friends. Uh, when I did all the actual like story stuff and the actual dungeon crawling, 95% of it was by myself, and I was fine. Um, I, I would recommend... And what I did when I played Dragon Quest Nine was 
I actually started watching um, the the cartoon Avatar: Last Airbender, and I would grind while watching it. And so when I looked at my my DS, I'm like, oh, I've been gotten a few levels and a bunch of gold. Now I can go on and do something else. So the combat is that easy to pay attention to, not pay attention to, that you can do it while doing other things. Yes, unless you're doing like boss fights, um, or once you actually start getting into the dungeons, like. It is turn-based. That that is why, right? It is turn-based. Okay, cool. So I mean, and it the well, I'm not gonna say it doesn't have a grind. It is a gentler grind that I'm used to in other games. Um, it helps that this game they're really good about like certain dungeons will have lots of chances of metal, uh, metal slimes to spawn, and they're a lot easier to kill now than they have been in previous Dragon Quests. So if you want to power level through some stuff, you can do it. And it's not as bad as other RPGs I've been through. Yeah, I guess you're mentioning Avatar The Last Airbender reminded me, like, I, I've been watching the other Dave Filoni show, and no one I know is watching it, but uh, season three of The Clone Wars uh, is also incredibly good. I like it a lot, but then again, I did watch season one and season two, which makes me the only person I know watching that cartoon. Everyone I know is getting in a freaking fit over My Little Pony. Yeah, none of us have gotten into My Little Pony. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't. Oh, well, well uh, you know, apparently it has just torn the internet asunder. Like, it is the biggest, like, the show is allegedly about friendship, but, like, I have not seen, like, more vehement uh, flame wars erupt everywhere th- than over this My Little Pony thing. Like, whether it's, you know, even, like, the unruly message boards that you can think of, they all either ban discussion of it outright because of the trouble it causes or set up special rules that are only for My Little Pony discussion threads and only those to try and keep order, and it fails well, every time. I, may, I guess I missed the boat because I've just been going back and watching old episodes of Batman Beyond. Man. Oh, Batman Beyond, that's a pretty good one. Well, I mean, the thing about Batman Beyond, and I do own all of it, but I think it just never really lived up to the promise set by its opening animation sequence, <laughs> which was like the Darwin Cook, like, oh, wow, it's a thief cutscene, but a cartoon. Great. I do really like the uncut Return of the Joker, though, and I will be buying that Blu-ray, even though I already own the DVD. Ooh, is that coming out on Blu-ray? I didn't even know that. I believe it is. I will be picking that up. Holy shit. That's one of my favorite. Uh, Batman Beyond is one of my favorite ever series ever, except for the last season. Where we replaced awesome old Bruce Wayne and his dog with pink-haired black chick. Like... That actually start, started halfway through the season two. Yeah, but in season two it was fine because it was more like she was like his Robin and you still had old Bruce Wayne. And then like season by the time we got to season three, it's like, fuck old Bruce it's Wayne. It's true, but yeah, like, if they do it on Blu-ray and I think... Because it was a movie, so it, they should have, like, theatrical animation or better animation than they did so it won't be just like an up-res. Yeah. Because I actually went back and watched the last episode of the first season of JLA Unlimited just so I can watch Batman Beyond stuff in HD. Yeah. Yeah, because it's got Batman Beyond. It's got its own comic book now, too. I've got the Batman. Like, they, they've made it The official. new Batman Beyond comic book is letting me down. I mean, it's because the guy they've got writing it traditionally hasn't really written anything good. Really? Like, orig- yeah, originally they started, like, a six-issue miniseries to kind of, like, float the idea of his Batman Beyond still got a following. And then they said, oh, you know what? People are still down with Batman Beyond. Let's make this an ongoing series. And it's just like the guy they've got is just like, you know, it's it's very average. And it needs to be more awesome, which is because 
you know, this is the awesome cast, or right. not the okay yeah. cast. So, I mean, you know, if you're if you're really fiending for more Batman Beyond, then yeah, you can read that comic. But I was like, man, I always wanted Batman Beyond to be like a little better than what it actually you know is. Well, I've got the I got the first two issues waiting for me in my box at my local comic shop. I need to. First three, maybe? Are we on now? I don't know. It's, yeah, check them out. I mean, like, I think my main objection to Batman Beyond was that there was so much of the teenage drama and Terry's, like, trying to balance his normal high school life with being the Batman. Being the Batman. And, and it just, I was always like, I don't care about any of your classmates, Terry. I, like, you know, I just want to see you, like, try to satisfy the crazy old man who can never be satisfied with you no matter how good you are. I know, are. exactly. That was always the best part of the show. I was, I was fine because apparently it was Terry's high school. The illusion called me Bruce in my head. I never do that. It's like, well, what do you – oh. That's the defining <laughs> yeah. Batman Beyond yeah. moment for me. But whenever, like, he, like – apparently his high school is the only high school where crazy, mad people, you know, become supervillains out of. Because, like, half of his rogues galley are kids in his high school or a teacher in his high school. You never see any other high school, you know, produce, like, you know, supervillains. But Terry's did. I liked their joke on the Fantastic Four, too. I really like their, uh... They yeah, had a terrific of, trio. Terrific trio. They had a lot of, of, uh... I love the... My favorite Batman Beyond moment is just the episode with, uh... Uh, Rachel Ghoul and stuff like that, and she's gonna use... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's with Talia. That was actually an interesting one. But I think that was the best things they did with Batman Beyond were the ones where they'd show you, like, the Batman Beyond version of famous character you already know. Yeah. I mean, that was the appeal of watching it. You wouldn't have watched it if it was just Terry McGinnis. Bruce Wayne had to be there. For it, exactly. And, and so the episodes where they have, like, Mr. Freeze or the episodes where Superman and, like, the New League... Those were some of the most standout episodes. And, yeah, the, the Rachel Ghoul one was pretty damn good. Yeah, because it was I, was... I love that ending where he's like, let me tell you about a woman named Selena Kyle. And uh, that was in... No, the way, that was in a different episode. Damn it. That's part of why Return of the Joker is so yes. good. Yeah. Because they didn't have the Joker at all, period, throughout Batman Beyond. They just had the gang inspired by the Joker. And then they bring him back, and you finally realize why did Batman stop being Batman and all that stuff. And so, even if you never watch any Batman Beyond, you can at least watch that movie, and it'll be yeah, great. It's, yeah, excellent stuff. But speaking of awesome and great movies, we should take an audio break, and then we'll be back, and we will podcast angry. That's a reach. You reached it's, again. Well, you know, right through your Happens. Happens.
So, I explain to people, because people are like, I tell people I go to see a Nicolas Cage movie, and they're like, why would you go see a Nicolas Cage movie? And I'm like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it all. Like, I'm not... Let, let's talk about Nicolas Cage, because he's got... He's, he's maybe, like, a, a, one of the most divisive leading actors working today. And I think some people consider him sort of a, a niche actor. Um, like, the people who love him, like us, really love us some Nicolas Cage. But there are many people, like who you're talking about, that they just... They, they, they straight up pass out on movies because there's nothing in it for him. It's like, oh, Nicolas Cage, why would you see that? And, like, why do you guys think that is? I tell people, it's like, I, I don't, I'm not going to watch amazing, I, I'm not going to watch, like, um, it's not like I'm going to watch Inception here. Like, I, I'm going I'm going to watch the, you know, when I watch Nicolas Cage, I'm watching an experience that you can only get when watching something that Nicolas Cage is in. But Nicolas Cage does all kinds of movies. I mean, he does do very thought-provoking movies as well as these you know, so I mean, I, I would say things like Lord of War and Bringing Out the Dead and Weatherman. Leaving Las Vegas and such. The Weatherman isn't really my kind of thing. I mean, it is like a totally downbeat drama, but yeah, it's a serious movie. I think the reason why he's so divisive is because most of the time when we think of like what's a good movie actor, it's usually like a very somber, serious guy, probably mumbling. Nicolas Cage is very animated. His approach is theatrical. He has, like, really big, over-blown like gesturing. He's got, like, crazy hair. He, his voice always, like, you know, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sorry. I would say that if I had to compare Nicolas Cage to anyone, he's basically this era's version of Vincent Price. It's a pretty good comparison. I kind of like that. Yeah, and people think, like, when they expect a good actor, like, who's the template model of a good actor? It's Robert De Niro, who's, you know, very, like, you know, subdued, very mumbling most of the time, who's, you know, been coasting by on his reputation for the last 15 years. But I think, yeah, Nicolas Cage's approach to acting is definitely not, like, what people are used to. And I think that's why there's so much hate, which is too bad, because uh, his movies are like no other movies that are getting made. I know. Is, like, that's that's a big part of it, too, to me, is that he seems to be willing to take on these roles that other actors would go, like, you want me to do what? And he's like, I get to be a sorcerer. I get to be, like, a demon from hell. Fun times. He really seems to, you get this energy that he's really enjoying what he's doing while he's in the films. And Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, I think some of the movies that try to be, like, this movie we're going to talk about, Drive Angry, they seem to be very, like, you know, the actors kind of know that there's some BS to it or they're, like, making fun of it. The cage is always, like, totally invested. And I think that is part of what makes it so enjoyable. Exactly. Is that he believes in it. Like, I think that's what turns it in from a movie to an experience. Like, where it's, like, where he is so into it that you can't help but be into it yourself. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're pushing, like, this era of acting minimalism that, you know, we forget that, like, everything that's above, you know, total emotional estrangement isn't just good only for, like, making fun of it. I would go so far as to say that Drive Angry is probably the greatest movie of 2011. Like, I maybe even this decade that we're about to experience, I mean... 
I, I don't know what can possibly beat it other than the next Nicolas Cage movie, which is Ghost Rider 2, which is him written wait. and directed by the people who made Crank. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're actually making a Ghost Rider 2? Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't heard Ghost about Rider this. Two, and the people who made Crank are making it. <laughs> and, and Nicolas Cage said, man, those guys are crazy. How crazy do you need to be if Nicholas Cage. Cage is telling you, "Whoa, hold on a second, that's kind of that's kind of freaky, dudes," but we're doing it. <laughs> okay, I have to go see this now. Like, oh man, I'm really excited now. I didn't think they'd ever let another Ghost Rider movie out after that first, after that one, first one, which I which I enjoyed because it was Nicholas Cage acting like Elvis, being a jerk to everybody. And I guess everybody liked it when it's Robert Downey Jr. doing that, but not so much when it's the Cage. Uh, exactly. Unfortunate. Well, but, yes, they are making But it. you actually mentioned something that I think Nicolas Cage does a lot, too, in that he he does another type of actor's acting, but with his own style. Like, for example, in Kick-Ass, he's Adam West. Oh, but, yeah. But absolutely. as Nicolas Cage. And so that was so awesome. It was like Nicolas West, you know, doing this fucking movie. Yeah, and he was the best part of Kick-Ass, and I, I did like that movie. Hate the comic, but I like the movie, oddly enough. Maybe not that odd, but I think uh, let's talk about this movie, though, Drive Angry. Uh, it just came out. Uh, unfortunately, it's a huge bomb. Oh, yeah. Nobody saw it. I think uh, we went on opening night, and I think there were six total people in the theater, and we were four of them. Yeah, like it was, it was sad. It was really sad. Yeah, part of it might just be that it's a 3D-only movie. Yeah, that that was disappointing. Yep. Well, I think it's it's necessary, though, because I think this movie couldn't have been done in a non-3D environment. I think the 3D aspect of this movie is actually very important. Most of the time when I go see a movie in 3D, it's like, did that movie really need to be in 3D? It's kind of like, you know, just like a couple parts, but I think... This might be the best use of 3D I've ever seen. And yes, I did see Avatar in the theater. So I think Drive Angry actually beat Oh, did you see uh, How to Train Your Dragon? How to Train Your Dragon was really good as well. And I will admit that that had some excellent Yeah, that was my favorite. Drive Angry is the number two to me, but... but. Okay. I think uh, one of the things that, like, they actually used some techniques here that could actually only be done... With the 3D, like, there's a part where he's driving and he's having a flashback to, like, what happened. And he watches it in the reflection on the car windscreen as he's driving. So you actually see two layers within the flashback because there's not just what's happening. There's Nicolas Cage acting and his reacting to remembering it. And that's something that could only have really been done with the 3D camera. And, you know, not just, you know, the bullet flying straight at the camera sort of effect, which, you know, there's plenty there's tons of that, of that in this movie, movie yeah. and I love it for it. But, yeah, I think that this movie actually does something with it, and it's unfortunate that it's just kind of getting glossed over. Uh, yeah, th- there was a lot of I've, – I've really loved the three in here. Usually I come out of three movies going, uh, why? But uh, there's a, a ton of it used effectively. My, my usual problem with 3D is, is literally a one more matter of health. I – 3D movie, when I go see a 3D movie, I usually get a huge headache after I'm done watching them. Because usually, because I, I already wear glasses. And so the act of... Yeah, I wear glasses too. And so I have to wear glasses over the glasses. Yeah, and this it puts... I'm prone to migraines already. So the act of putting two sets of glasses on my temples usually just drives my, my head insane. Um, Drive Angry is like the first movie I've seen in 3D 
that I did not get a splitting headache when I left. You know what I think part of it is, is that it was actually filmed with 3D in mind first and foremost. Most of the movies that we're getting in 3D now are converted. They were shot in 2D and then converted over to 3D because Hollywood looks at 3D and sees, aha, here's something that can't be pirated yet. And so they try to make every movie they can be in 3D so that to get people going out in the theater and paying money for it. Like right now, you can't even, when the 3D version of it comes out on video, you can't even steal that yet. So this is kind of like their one thing they're trying to really bank on. But again, if it's not made for 3D, and not just with a camera, if it's not lit and photographed in 3D, you get a headache. Because everything otherwise is just in focus all the time. And that's what bothers your brain when you try to watch those 3D movies that aren't meant for it. You know, that's why you're getting that headache. That's interesting. And I didn't this think doesn't of, exhibit that. I didn't think about that. That's probably uh, pretty good. Like, well, uh, even stuff like Toy Story 3 gave me a huge headache. And you would think that, you know, a movie that's already being rendered in, you know, in three dimensions already, just as far as the CG goes, would not have that problem. But I did. But I thought it was. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Did you get the same thing for Up? Um, no, I, did, I refused to watch Up in 3D. Oh, okay. So, like, usually if I've... Well, uh, the 3D and up was very good and very subtle, and, you know, since it's Pixar as well, you know, you'd think that if you had seen one and been okay, you would have seen the other, but I guess you only saw the one. Yeah, because normally, because I've had past, past bad experiences, if I have an option, I will see it in 2D. Um, Toy Story, when I went, I didn't buy my ticket, and it sort of, they surprised me, here you go, and here's your 3D glasses. Oh. Ah. But... Yeah, I'll almost always go for the 2D version over the 3D because I know they're converted over after the fact, and most of the time, you know, it's just not impressive. But Drive Angry is, uh, I would recommend anyone listening to this, assuming it comes out in time, because this movie's going to be gone from theaters fast. <laughs> Very fast. Um, to see it in the theater in 3D, if you can do that. Yeah, because I remember actually watching the windshield moment and going, oh, hey, I see what they're doing here. That's, that's neat. I've never thought about someone doing that before. I don't remember when you mentioned that. I was like, thinking back to when I watched watching movie, I was like, hey, that's a really neat technique that I probably won't get when I buy this on Blu-ray. Yeah, I think uh, we should actually say what the premise of this movie is. Because it is the most Nicolas Cage premise I have ever seen. Like the pure distilled cagery. It's just his morning commute. (laughs) As all it is, is his morning commute. It's morning what he does commute. every morning when he drives to work. Well, uh, I, I don't. Uh, which is it's funny. We should mention this thing's premise because the movie itself doesn't seem to want to do that. Um, well, yeah. Well, I think the thing is, is that the trailer for it might have been a big reason why a lot of people did not see this movie because the trailer is super misleading as to what kind of movie this yeah, is. Yeah, it is. For one. Yeah, the the trailer does kind of give it away, and I guess we may as well since everyone's seen that trailer. It's Nicolas Cage escapes from hell, and he has to save his granddaughter from being sacrificed (laughs) by hell-worshipping cultists. And the only way he can do it is to drive as quickly as possible and as angrily as possible. And that's so that's about fucking Cage right there. And out and out to you know collect Nicolas Cage from his, his escape from hell is Alexander Mahone himself, William Fickner, who steals this movie. Yeah, he really as, does. As the accountant, 
Um, <laughs> if, if any, everyone kind of like, no one really knows the name William Fickner, but they all know his face because he's just like one of those character actors that's been working forever. I said uh, Alexander Mahone because that's kind of where I would think most people might know him. If anyone ever saw Prison Break, he basically is playing the same exact character as he was in Prison Break, only here, only with superpowers. Uh, I love. But if you, uh, sorry, I just love that character. He's the best. Like. And it's not to say anyone else is bad, but he's just the best. Yeah, in this yeah movie. he really, really does is. the best job. I would watch an entire movie of just him walking around nonchalantly looking for escapees. Yeah, exactly. You know, you could make a whole franchise not off the Nicolas Cage part, but off of The Accountant. You know, in summer 2012, oh, the returns are due. I don't know. You know, like, make up some account. I don't know any IRS jargon, but, like... But, yeah, I mean, um, th- that's one thing. I think one of the things that this movie probably could have used was a better trailer. I don't know if maybe a Red Band trailer, like how Kick-Ass got, might have really sold this movie to people, because that trailer does not convey how ridiculously violent No, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. And, and the tits and everywhere. Ridiculous, yeah, and how much ridiculously awesome nudity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when I, I was like, holy shit, there's tits everywhere watching this film. It's like every ten minutes there's a boob, like... And just the, well, I don't know if we want to get into spoilers yet. I mean, I, I don't think let's let's that's not, not yet. It's no. not yet, but uh. But I mean, yeah. The thing is, is that this movie is like another one that's just taken back the hard R action movie, which you know is almost completely gone now. It's like, other than like the Crank movies, yeah, and stuff like that. There's not a whole lot of like you know. This is a hard R action movie. Studios are afraid of it, and Drive Angry is proof of why. But I think people just didn't know that this movie was going to be this raw and this hardcore. I think this movie is kind of what Grindhouse and Machete were trying to be. That's not to say I don't like those movies, but this movie is that. Yeah, exactly. I, I really think that that uh, they did not sell how you know they, much they were going to push this R rating. And I, you know, and maybe because they were afraid of what happened, which is no one went and saw it. Maybe they thought if people were like, oh, man, tits and extremely cr- uh, crazy violence, who'd want to see that? But Wait, I, I think that was totally wrong thing to do. I think they should have because I, I think it is such a different spectacle. And if I think they pushed that idea, it would have driven more people. More people. Just, yeah, exactly. Like, I think what it may have not done as that much better would have done better. I mean, there's one scene, I'm not, I'm not saying what it is yet, but there's one scene in this movie that I think if they just made the trailer out of it, that everybody in the world would go and see this movie just because. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, too. But I mean, like, yeah, this movie's got it all. This has, like, hands getting blown off, and people get, like, totally shot in the face, their kneecaps just get blown away, and, like, the 3D effect, like, really sells it. And you can actually, like, go, yeah, this is awesome, because basically all of the horrific violence pretty much always happens to the bad it's guys. horrible someone people. Who, yeah, to someone who they go to show, this guy deserves to get, you know, a baseball bat through his eye or whatever. You want to see it happen. So th- there's not really a lot of, I mean, there's some, but I mean, you know, there's not too many instances where you're like, oh man, I didn't want that person to die. Everyone's like, yeah. It, exactly. Cool. Yeah. The, the villains. I, I really think that they, they kind of missed the ball on that, even though I was sold the moment, like, I saw the poster. On this movie, yeah, those are, are Satanists. I mean, how much more? I want to, you know, Nazis aren't as, you know, 
fun to kill as Satanists, and you never see it. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? It's over 9,000! Okay, folks, so in case there was an abrupt change, because there was, it turns out that the internet in my apartment sucks. So now Eric and I are in a new apartment. Yeah, we have moved to Freehold. We have, in fact, driven angry. Well, How was, did it feel? I wasn't very angry. I was just mildly frustrated. That's the prequel to Drive Angry. It's a uh, drive, drive kind of frustration. Drive inconvenienced. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Drive inconvenienced. I like that. That's really good. Yeah, while I was there, I, I shot some dudes, banged some chicks. It was pretty good. Yeah, Nicolas Cage drives the car and kills people. Probably even more satisfactory than uh, the last couple Jason Statham drives the car and kills people uh, entries, if only because of the greatness of the R rating. But uh, you guys were talking about that, that you were surprised by it. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea how gruesome this movie was going to be. Like, I knew it was going to be a a kick, I'm, I'm a bad dude, I kick ass and drive angry, you know, kind of movie. But that it was going to be a hands blown off, people get their things bitten off, kind of, you know, rough and tumble film. I had no idea that was coming down. Yeah, I remember the last time I watched that, you know, an R-rated movie like this at all. In memory that I can think of was Expendables, and I think that one got hurt by the fact that they're constantly waffling between PG-13 and R, and while we ended up getting an R, I think they could have done so much more with it had they set out to make it R in the first place, and this movie really shows what you can do if you really restrict the the, the age group, but um, ching as it were. I also think like I want to just talk about something else that really surprised me about this movie. I didn't uh I didn't know anything about it really because um just to go back to what we were saying, I think a lot of the failure of this was people saw the trailer, weren't that sold on it even though I was pretty on board for the trailer, but I was on board before I saw the trailer because here's how I operate when I see movies. Let me know if you guys feel any differently. I feel that modern movie advertising sucks. Overall, across the board. Have to agree. Because, like, it does two things that I hate. One, they show you way too much of the movie. And two, they simultaneously do not convey the type of movie that it is. So... Like, do you guys feel that? Have you like? Yeah, it's almost like the trailers. Well, it is like the trailers are are such a separate beast. They were created by a marketing department rather than by the guys who made the film. So you have these mini movies cut to express whatever the marketing people think will sell the film. 
And a lot of times what that does is it instills in your audience an expectation for one thing. And then if you go and you see the thing and it doesn't meet that expectation, even if it turns out to be good, your expectations are let down and therefore you feel let down because your expectations weren't met. Exactly. Yeah. Like if I if I go in looking for a rodeo movie and people are all in night armor, I'm not very happy about it. And so what I usually do at this point is I basically I look at the poster and make a snap judgment based on that, which is kind of dangerous because most posters nowadays are really badly designed. Like there's a there's a lot of sameness to them, but I can generally I don't know I have that attuned sense to be like yes need to see this movie. Like, did any of you guys see The Mechanic? Ooh, the remake? No. Uh, I did not. I did not. That was actually a good movie. I mean, I did say that the last few Jason Statham drives a car and kills people movies haven't been that good, but the Mechanic remake was actually quite uh, well done. That was also rated R, but it was another one where the trailer features shots from the end of the movie, and I'm like, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, hey, wait a second, this didn't happen yet. And then it's like, oh, it's the end of the movie. Uh, the worst one, like the worst offender was, and I'm glad I didn't see it before I saw the movie. Did anybody see Faster? No, I did not. Mm. That was actually a very good movie. And the trailer shows everything as far as violence without like adequately conveying the context of the film. Like, it's actually a very gray morality, spaghetti western sort of tale, but they released a Red Band trailer where he kills a bunch of guys, and you think, oh, wow, this is just the tip of the iceberg. But no, that's pretty much the entire movie. Like, the entirety of the violence contained in that trailer. Right, and as you watch the movie, it's about him finding who these people are and tracking them down. And it's like, oh, but, you know, if you'd seen the trailer, which I hadn't, you know, it's like, oh, well, I already know what's going to happen because I saw the stupid trailer. What was – sorry, what was that movie? I, I remember seeing it. It was the Ninjas versus Cowboys. That was a fantastic movie, The Warrior's Way. Yes. Nobody saw it at all. The trailer was also completely misrepresentative of that movie. I mean, to to be fair, that movie's a little hard to pin down because it's – um, structured like a traditional American Western, but it has action like, um, you know, Japanese over the top, like Devil May Cry Bayonetta action. In fact, they actually got the Devil May Cry Bayonetta guy to do the fights for that movie. And so it's got that style to it and also has like some kind of almost Fellini-esque cinematography. So it's a little difficult to pin down, but the trailer made it feel like Cowboys versus Ninjas, the movie. That's the very last scene of the movie, and yeah. that's it. And, and it's like the man. line where he says "ninjas," damn, isn't even in the movie. It's not in the movie. It was excised, and people were let down because it's like, oh, we were expecting to see a movie that was all that and have it be like that kind of smart-ass sort of tone. It's not that kind of movie at all. But that doesn't mean it's not a very enjoyable film. And so, I don't think Drive Angry's trailer is that off. But it is off in terms of conveying, like, just how gritty and raw a film this is. And so I, I'm pretty much at the point where it's like, once I know I'm going to see a movie, I stop watching any more advertising for it. If I see a trailer and I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to see that, then I'll watch the trailer. And then if I'm still not interested, then I'll be like, eh, whatever. Like, the only time where I've, like, actually seen the poster gone, eh, I don't really want to see that, seen the trailer gone, eh, I definitely don't really want to see that. 
and saw some more and was like, don't really want to see that. And then when I went and saw the movie and I was like, wow, I liked it. Believe it or not, The Green Hornet. Like, really? Yeah. I was so surprised that movie was good because everything about that movie was like the alarm bell in my head. This is crap. And it wasn't crap. I was like, wow. Because well, I avoided that movie for basically I, I the reason. Avoid, yeah. I was going to avoid it, and I got taken against my will to see it by other people. And then I was like, whoa, why? You know, they made it seem like it was just going to be yet another, like, ridiculous Seth Rogen movie comedy. Actually, is is pretty good action, and, and the comedy works. I was impressed. And so... It's just uh, I have no faith in the Hollywood marketing machine at this point to sell the films that they need to to the audience that is going to enjoy them. So, uh, you know, take my word for it if you can. I think Drive Angry works. I think one of the most surprising things, and we haven't even mentioned this at all yet, and it might have been the thing that surprised me most about the movie. You guys said you were surprised most by how violent and raw it was. I was most surprised by Amber Heard. Oh, really? The girl in the movie. Um, I was completely surprised at her character in this. Like, I, uh, she, she might be one of the most, like, legitimately awesome, badass female movie characters I've ever seen. Like, if you go by the trailer, if you go by, like, all the ads, you know, she, she seems like, okay, she's gonna be the hot girl that's, you know, gonna be with the hero and is gonna need saving and maybe she'll help out a bit. But, um, you know, not really in a way that doesn't really put them, you know, at a higher level or even on the same level as the hero. A Amber Heard's character in this, she is like totally hands dirty the whole way through. Like she's the yeah, exactly. I would say she's the opposite of the damsel in distress character, even though she's constantly in distress. She's always being held at gunpoint or knife point. She gets the crap beat out of her, but she fights back, and she fights back with, like, elbows and hits to the knees and, like, really brutal stuff. Like, there's one scene, I'm not going to spoil it, where you think it's like, oh, now she needs saving from the hero, and she completely saves herself. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about, yeah. And I was like, you know, like, I'll spoil the line. Like, I don't remember the line, like, entirely, but it sums it up in, like, to a, a T. Uh, the villain of the movie, like, the real villain, he, like, basically gives, like, sort of a, a villain speech. Like, I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to defile your corpse after I'm done <laughs> killing you. And she's like, oh, yeah? And then she, like, clenches her fists, and she says, like, well, between now and then, I'm going to fuck you up <laughs> yeah, yeah that was that was great and, and she does and i think that was the real battle between the between him and somebody else that that was his big fight scene yeah the villain had was with her it wasn't with cage right i mean you know eventually you know cage you know he encounters one of his you know old badass running mates and he chooses to you know stick with the girl and at most point you'd be like oh why the hell did you do that but it's like when he says that, that, you know, he needs her, it's like, we believe him. It's like, she saved his life, you know, so to speak, so twice to speak. Yeah. at yeah. that point. And, you know, that guy is, you know, clearly old and he's got a bad leg and all that. And in another movie, he'd be like, okay, this guy and him are going to solve some problems. But no, we've actually seen her, you know, carry her weight, so to speak, in a tremendously entertaining fashion. And so that, to me, like, I, I completely wasn't expecting it because... You know, we've seen Machete, we've seen, you know, that style of movie where it's basically a vehicle to show how badass the hero is, 
and there are girls and maybe they've got some badass moments, but they're mostly there to look pretty. And that's not to say Amber Heard doesn't look pretty. She actually looks really fantastic in this movie. I've never really paid attention to her before this, but I was uh, I was damn impressed. I would accept her being the next Red Sonia. Yeah, yeah definitely. They 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 hand the bad badass stick out pretty liberally to everyone in this film. Yeah, well, like it. if you're an actual remotely important character, you get badass scenes. Yeah, except for the main villain. I have to say the main villain didn't ever got one. But. Well, he gets to swagger around and, and show off his little and chest show medallion. show how really bad he is. I mean, it's that nice. guy, that character actor is always so good at being a total jerk. Yeah, I know. He was just like, God, 1970s hippie douchebag. Like, like I mean, Satanist hippie. It, it wasn't just in 3D, but it was in, like, Swarm ED whenever he was yeah, on, was on like, the screen. Like, you could, you could almost feel it. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that 70s style villain because this really does feel like that like 70s era exploitation style movie. Yeah, in yeah. That, you know, it's not just ridiculous story and like you know hilarious violence and you know really in your face nudity, but also like the the blatancy of the 3D like gimmickry, as it were. You know, all of it is kind of like comes together and you get like this. Aha! This is totally you know, the feel that they're going for, for this movie. It's just the and, kind of film that the cage was born to star in. It's like, it's like, yeah. like blaxploitation for, for, like, white trash. Like, yeah, it's true. I mean, it starts off, like, you know, their trip through America is basically their trip through, like, Hicksville to Hicksville. Yeah, exactly. It was a big road trip that's with, actually... With a, you know, with a stopover in a trailer park and then a uh, then the uh, Texas-styled... Like I, ranch. I, cut, I cut him off. He off for two days. That's the beginning of the movie, too. That's, like, what really sets the scene for it, is that, like, really foul conversation between the diner waitress. Yeah, I loved that, the the horrible, because uh, as someone who's worked the service industry, I've heard that kind of conversation between two, uh, two servers before. Like, what actually what really shot me in this movie was, like, just, I guess, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it, but all the cursing. Really? Like, it's like, you know, it's like saying, hi, how, hi, how's it going? Is it so casual that there's, like, you know, fuck shit piss everywhere? Oh, uh, that just... didn't shock me. The, the only, the uh, the nudity was the big shock to me. That and that, man, every woman was like, I, I don't know, the only time my suspension of disbelief was ever really cracked was when every woman went up to Nick Cage and was like, you're super sexy, we should have sex right now. And they do. And they do. And while that was awesome for the film, at the same time it was like, we are looking at the same Nicolas Cage, <laughs> I do, on the subject of that, I do think, and you know, it's somewhat of a spoiler, but I'll mention it anyway, I do think that even though that's the case, Amber Heard's character uh, does not get romantically involved with Nicolas Cage in any way. She kind of goes off and, you know, has her own porking adventures, which I think, you know, helps. I think it, you know, is better for it if she's not just, you know, the love interest. Exactly. Yeah. Like, she went off and was like, I'm going to go get my own piece of ass. See you later. And in fact, he originally was it, but then she's like, no, you... You go get some, because I'm going to get mines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just, There's so like, many, like, great scenes, and I just, like, I think I want to talk about it. But it's like, no, the effectiveness of the scene is that you don't know that's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. That, that's the Because it's one of those films that just goes crazy over the top bat shit over and over and over again. And if you tell people, they'll go, that's awesome. But then when they see it, it you know. That's another thing, to go back to what I was saying about avoiding the trailers. Another thing I do is avoid 
reviews until after I've seen a movie. And there's two reasons for that. One, I'm kind of weird, and I guess my tastes fall outside the norm. A lot of, like, my favorite movies are movies that get particularly low tomato meter scores, for example. But another thing is that movie critics, if they hate a movie, have no compulsion about spoiling major details about a movie and not making it sound like they're spoiling anything. Like, they're just saying it very matter-of-fact. Like, oh, yeah, this is, like, you know, obvious, but it's not. And I hate that. Like, I know people worship Roger Ebert, but when he hates a movie, he's, like, the king of just giving crap away oh fuck him ever since he said that spider-man was too much like a comic book to be a good movie i've been pissed at him well he's normally like you know people look up to him and rightfully so because he gives most of the time good reasons for why he likes or dislikes something but when he dislikes something and people are like they they can't wait to see him tear the thing apart you know he he's a little um overbearing with like the spoilers and i looked at him and other reviewers and that was definitely the case for this movie where they just gave scenes away that were like, oh, my God, how could you how could you talk ruin about that, that for somebody? You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, what You have no business destroying the fun of this film for someone because you didn't like it. But I mean, I, you, could, you could express why you didn't like the movie without going into the detail that these people do, but they choose to do it. It's an, a conscious decision on their part. And uh, I know... You know, some people are just really against the 3D concept in general, and I actually tend to be one of them when it's not done well, but this, it's done very, very well, I think. It yeah. might be, like we said, either the best or second best example we've ever seen. And, you know, the fact that we've got all these awesome cars getting the crap driven out of them, beaten to hell, a lot of practical uh, special effects in this. It's not to say there's no CG, but... A lot of the car chase stuff is... You it's, know, it's mechanical. Actual, yeah. like, car chases, not just, like, you know, Fast about the CG. Style. Yeah, it's not just, look at what I did on my computer. You know, they actually did, you know, some pretty cool stuff, I thought. Normally, I'm not a fan of car chases in movies. I think the chase scene, in general, has lost its effectiveness at, like, ramping up excitement or tension or whatever. Because uh, how many times have you seen in a movie... Uh, the hero is driving his car, the bad guys are chasing him, they're shooting their machine guns. Nothing ever happens. No one ever catches a stray bullet. It never, like, blows out a tire. It may as well not even be happening. And in this movie, when there's car chases, you know, stuff actually happens. There's actually a consequence to it. If someone fires a gun, something is going to happen that is, like, crazy. And let me tell you, Nicolas Cage has one of the craziest guns in cinema history. Yeah. Yes. And I've talked about the Hong Kong shotgun. This is, like, the next level of Hong Kong shotgun because he's got that shotgun, and then he's got the big gun. Which, yeah, the, the God Slayer or whatever it's called. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just, you know, they show it in the trailer, but you don't actually truly see what this thing is capable of, thankfully, until you see the film, and that's a, a very good uh, thing, at least. At least they didn't give that away. I mean, you can kind of imagine just from looking at it, and then, you know, it that might exceed expectations <laughs> as far as that's concerned. But, I mean, the car chases in this were done very well, and, you know, between that stuff, the gunfighting, the uh, one particular scene that a lot of people... Uh, are either talking about or like, eh, I already saw that in another movie that was kind of crazy. 
I would say this movie takes it to the next level. And the movie I'm thinking of is Shoot 'Em Up, which is another movie that had a lot of gunfights, a lot of violence and stuff like that. And, and one particular scene, which some people would say um, was directly inspired by Shoot 'Em Up. I won't deny that, but the cage brings some elements to it that takes it to the next level. Yeah, he just oh, he just brings so much like I don't He's even got know. Some additional it. vices that he brings into that in addition to just being Nicolas Cage, in addition to the 3D element of bullets flying directly at your face. You know, normally it'd be like, oh, come on, that's so cheap. This time, everything comes together. I'm like, hell yeah, Nicolas Cage just shot me in the eye. Yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Like, and I, they did a really good job of, like, foreshadowing badassery. Like, someone asked, you know, Nicolas Cage, he wants a drink, and he goes, no, I only drink if it's under this certain condition. And then you knew that condition would be met. Yes, that was was Chekhov's condition, as it were. And then, like, once we saw, like, you know, oh, come on, has to happen, has to happen. And then, you know, it happens. I'm, like, so glad. And then, but even after what you are foreshadowed will happen, once that's paid off on, Nicolas Cage still takes it to the next level and puts the (laughs) button on it. Yes, oh, yes. better. It's like, oh, wow, I never would have seen it coming. Okay, like, yeah, we can't talk about that anymore. No, absolutely we'll start, not. Yeah, and no. that's something they give away in the negative movie reviews. I'm like, what are you guys doing, you bastards? You just destroyed it. It's this. one of the best moments in the movie. Right. And then, you know, between that and, you know, the really strong supporting cast, not just Amber Heard, who's a character who has substance beyond, hey, nice boobies, and William Fickner just being, like, the best <laughs> William Fickner. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. Foil to the cage, I mean... Looks you know, like it's your day, boy. Lucky day, boy. Sorry. Right. You know, between that and, you know, the fact that he's just, uh, you know, not even that big a deal of a, you know, not even a villain. I'll say antagonist. You know, he's an accountant. He's a bean counter or the equivalent thereof, you know. I, uh, that's, uh, I... Oh, uh, whatever, like, him and the cage talk to each other. It's like poetry on the screen. Especially the very last scene. Yeah. The very oh, yeah. last scene of the film. The it's... very last scene of the film, I don't even want to like even imply what the setup of it is. But, I mean, it is it is perfect, I think. And the fact that this movie not only did badly, but flopped colossally is, is kind of disheartening to me. Because, I mean, I like Nicolas Cage, and he's had a string of of not just poorly received movies, but like major league flops of movies that were meant to be money. This was an expensive movie, like yeah. $50 million expensive. And I would be more behind it if the movies were not good or not enjoyable. Like of his last few, I would say the least enjoyable might be season of the witch for me. But even that I wouldn't say is a bad movie. I think Basil, you said it best. It's the best Dungeons and Dragons movie ever made. It is. Oh, man, I don't see how anybody could not want to see Ghost Rider and Hellboy beat up demons. Like... Exactly. But, you know, I'm just that out of touch with what people want to see. And I don't know if it's the movies or if it's how the movies are presented to people or if it's some external factor. Like, people just – I know Nicolas Cage has this reputation among, like, the public maybe as a guy who's, like – taking any movie, you know, any script, no matter what's handed to him, because he needs the money, because he owes all this money in taxes. But I personally, that doesn't really translate to me on the screen. He never really seems like he's bored or phoning it in. And, uh, you know, Kick-Ass, you know, I think he was the best part of that movie. And 
that was around the start of that whole thing. And then, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice, I enjoyed it. I apparently very few other people did, but I thought he was good in that. I thought that movie was enjoyable if you like like the National Treasure style of movie. Yeah, exactly. And then Season of the Witch, again, like you said, it's this crazy fantasy that's not a sequel, that's not a remake, that's not based on a comic. It's an original story, something that Hollywood really needs more of, and it wasn't horrible. And yet nobody went to see it. And Drive Angry is another one where this one might actually be one of the best comic book movie, quote-unquote, I've ever seen, and it's not based on any comic. Yeah, exactly. It's what we always want and what we never really get as much as we should until now. It's a fucking Garth Ennis uh, miniseries as a, as a movie right here. Yeah, I don't yeah. even like Garth Ennis in print. I think, you know, a lot of his adaptations to film work out better than his actual source material, maybe just because of the nature of cinema uh, versus what he's doing on the printed page. I, I don't know. But uh. I like Ennis when he's got somebody that's that's there to sit behind him and slap him whenever and he decides. And rain him in when he says Yeah. Like, but every movie you mentioned, um, I could tell Nicholas Cage was having a blast playing whatever character he was playing. Especially when he's playing Harry Dresden. Like, like I think he had a total, he was just having fun in each one of those movies. And I think it really shows that it really, it's the reason why I go to watch Nicolas Cage movies because I know he's going to enjoy himself playing these characters. Isn't he the guy that was begging Marvel Comics for years to give him, like, every time a superhero movie would come up, he'd go, pick me, pick me, I want to be, Yes, you know. absolutely, because, I mean, think of it. Nicolas Cage isn't his real name. I mean, that's a stage name. He chose his last name because of Luke Cage, Power Man from the Marvel Comics. Exactly. I mean, and, and Luke Cage is black, but, I mean, you know, he likes that character enough that he calls himself Nicolas Cage as his acting name. Probably wrap it up there. I mean, we pretty much said uh, everything that I said about Angry. I mean, I just think fortunate more people didn't see it. I think it might just be the... The silliest, most uh, raw, most raunchy movie to be rife with references to Paradise Lost that I've ever seen. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, uh, no, I, I was... Uh... The first action movie, quite possibly, where the protagonist's name is Milton. Yes. I, I was trying to remember his name and the whole... It's either Milton, yeah, I was like, really? Milton? But man, he, he, he earns that name. Milton's out a badass name because of the cage. Never thought I would say that. That's a total blast. Yeah. So unfortunately, everybody, Daryl has turned into Robo Voice again, so in case it goes bad again. Drive Angry. Great film. Great film. Wonderful film. Go watch it. And if somehow you miss it, go on DVD anyways. Even if you can't watch it in 3D, but if you can watch it in, in theaters, 3D. do so. Do so now. <laughs> <laughs>